How's everybody doing today? Great, I like that. It is a great day. It is a great day. It's a little chilly in here today. But that's all right. It's, it's warming up, isn't it? Thank you, Sonny, for sporting some, uh, some holiday wearing coats and gloves. It felt like we were Christmas caroling a little bit this morning. So thank you so much. It's good to see everybody this morning. There's a, there's a rumor going around that I'm going to have a shorter teaching, and it may be, and it may not be. I, I was talking to Melinda this morning about it, and I said it could go either way. I'm not real sure, but I want to free you up. If you guys have somewhere to be, if you've got family Christmas that you need to get to, if you've got a meal that you're headed off to, you are free to go at any point in time. I refuse to be offended. I can't say that for everybody sitting around you. They may be, but I will not be offended. Merry Christmas and welcome to our family room this morning. There's a few things I want to look at. I thought I had this morning locked down for about two weeks and um, I really learned some stuff, saw a few things even just this morning that um, kind of shook me up in a good way inside and I want to share some of that with us. We're going to look at a lot of the same things that were in my original teaching for this morning, but we're going to look at them a little bit differently. Uh, there's a, just a little a shift I had, a, I had a solid word with a whole bunch of text and a whole bunch of things that I saw in Scripture uh, throughout the whole Bible pointing to Jesus coming, and I struggled with the application. I struggled with, Lord, where, I'm, I'm not real sure why. I understood we need to share the gospel, and we need to point the gospel out of this, but I'm, I was struggling to see it. And this morning, the Lord kind of revealed it a little bit to me. Um, we read two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever we had Christmas at the Rock, we read Luke chapter 2, uh, most of the whole chapter, and it says right in the very beginning of Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. At this point in time in human history, the entire world, it was a one world government. It was a bad deal. It was not a, uh, this was not a theocracy. God was not leading the children of Israel as their king at this point. They were under Roman dictatorship rule, one world government, um, and it was not a Christian face or a, a God-focused government. And yet, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. The Bible talks about in the fullness of time is when Jesus came. Now there's a whole bunch of scholars take a whole bunch of different takes on that, what the fullness of time is talking about. But there was, we understand there was a tremendous amount of prophetic that was in the Old Testament. In fact, I dare say all of the Old Testament is prophetic references to Jesus. So all of these things are spoken forth, spoken forth, spoken forth, and then we know one thing that was still taking place at the birth of Jesus is local synagogues were still speaking forth these prophecies. They were still working through Scripture and giving voice to prophetic Scriptures regarding the Messiah. And at some imperceptible point, time was full, which I, just, I like that picture that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And it wasn't when everything was just right, although we know, we see all through Scripture that everything was just right for Jesus to be here. It wasn't like, we got to wait for the one world government. We got to wait for this. We got to wait for, we got to make sure there's going to be a census. No, in the fullness of time, there was a census took place. 
It's the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, city of origin. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. That's where he was from. Now, he was living in Nazareth. We don't see any indication that he was just visiting Nazareth. He was in Nazareth, had put down roots in Nazareth, but he was from Bethlehem. Well, we know, and I'm, I'm, uh, we're shuffling around some of my notes this morning, if I even made it in my notes. Apparently, it did not make the notes. But Micah, uh, Micah, the prophet Micah, prophesied that out of Bethlehem, the, the Messiah was to come. Little Bethlehem, the Messiah was to come. And there's, you may say, well, I, I'm not real sure the, the focus of this whole Bethlehem thing. Well, it's interesting because, as you know, I love the meaning of words. I love to look at what the words mean. And many of you are probably familiar with this. But the word Bethlehem, the town's name Bethlehem, is, it's two words come together and it means the house of bread. Beth means house and Lehem means bread. So it's this house of bread. And as you think, well, I'm not sure. You're like, well, we're going to look at a few things. We're going to go all the way back in your Bibles and we're going to kind of take a, we're not going to be here forever. We're going to kind of skim through a few different things in Scripture. I want us to see a few things before we get to the actual text that I want to look at today. All through Scripture, there is threads woven. Scripture is like a fabric. And all through, there's threads that connect everything. And we looked a lot, we, t- we spent a lot of time looking at the thread of the new covenant. And that's the strongest thread that runs through. And in that, there's little glimpses all through almost every book. I, I dare say they are every book. I can't say that I've preached out of every single book the threads of the new covenant. But they are in every book. These little, little threads woven through. And this Christmas time, I was thinking about Bethlehem. You know, out of, out of Bethlehem, the Savior is going to come. What is significant about Bethlehem? It's this house of bread. And the Holy Spirit kept kind of nudging me on Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And that fits. He's the bread of life and he's coming out of Bethlehem. But it's way bigger than that. In fact, it's cosmic in nature. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. This is following Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. And this is God giving them instructions, telling them what is about to take place. There's some, we've looked at some of the prophetic that's in here, but we're looking at this verse right now. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. We look at that and we're like, what's the significance of the bread? It's more the dust. You know, we, he formed us out of the dust of the earth and then he breathed in our nostrils. Man became a living being or a spiritual, a speaking spirit at that point. But in this, I just want to look at in the sweat of your faith, you, face you shall eat bread. There is an importance all the way back in Genesis given to bread. Bread is what sustains us. It's what keeps us alive. We need calories or we will waste away into nothingness. So in Genesis chapter 3, God tips his hat to this man, man doing it on our own. We will sweat. We will labor. We will labor and out of the sweat of our brow, we shall eat bread until we return to the ground. This theme of bread, thread, I mean, and we're not even going to touch anywhere near all of them. There's just a few that the Lord really highlighted for me. Uh, Joseph, later on in Genesis, 
which means the Lord has added unto you. Manage the grain supply for all of Egypt. Everybody's familiar with the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery, wrongfully accused. His life did not work out for him. It was about as bad a situation as what Jesus was born into. It was not great. And yet the Lord drew him up, raised him up to be the second in command of Egypt for one purpose, to manage the grain supply for all of Egypt, to provide bread for all the world, that humanity may survive. This is a clear typology of Jesus being the bread of life. We see the new covenant revealed in this. And this is just a little side note. I love looking for the little new covenant-isms that are all through Scripture. Most of the people that ate bread from Egypt, did they participate in its being raised and stored? No, they came from all over. We see this when we see Joseph's own brothers. They didn't send grain for seven years. In fact, they had nothing to do with Egypt until they needed grain. And so this is a typology of the new covenant in that we have nothing to do with enacting the new covenant. We just go when we need it. When we realize that we need the new covenant, then we go. When, when the rest of the world realized they needed food, where did they go? Egypt has food. When you realize, when I realize, when inside of our hearts was quickened that we need to be right with God and we aren't, we go to the one place that is that we can access that supply. There's just little things all through Scripture, little things like this. All the people who survived because of Joseph's leadership, they partook of the supply. They were beneficiaries of Joseph's provision. Much like we are beneficiaries of Jesus' provision. We're not part of making the supply. We can't. Is all revealed in all scripture. And Jesus came and filled the law up so reveal even clearer, you're not gonna make it on your own. We can't, part- we can't feed ourselves in this period of famine, in our righteousness famine that humanity has found themselves in. Later on, we see manna, bread from heaven came down in the foreshadowing of Jesus. In John 6, we're gonna look at in a little bit, we see Jesus talk about this bread and reveal it was only a type or a shadow of his coming. And yet this manna, for generations following the Israelite coming out of Egypt. This manna is almost worshipped. It has this this, uh, mystical essence to it in all of Judaism, talking about the manna that came down from heaven. And I, church, it was a miracle, straight up miracle. God provided manna, bread from heaven. You're familiar, is everybody familiar with that story? The Israelites are called, Moses goes, he delivers the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and they travel to, uh, out into the wilderness. They're hungry, and they're complaining. They don't have any food, and the Lord provides bread from heaven. This is where the story of manna that I referenced comes from. But it was, Jesus reveals in John 6, he's talking about, he's like, you guys, you kind of missed it with that. It wasn't about the bread. That was a picture of me. I'm coming. And just as the people that got bread from Joseph had nothing to do with making the grain or storing the grain, they were just beneficiaries of it. Likewise, the children of Israel, all they did was say, we need something to eat. It's just like us when we, when we realize we need a savior. We need a savior and in the middle of the desert the wilderness, we've got no way to make one. We can't get bread. We have no grain. We've got nothing to eat. We need it. And I've said, I've shared many times, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation, which is presented to all of us, is a very elite group. 
There's hard lines around those of us that are believers. You say, whoa, whoa, that doesn't sound like the gospel. No, it is. You have to fit one characteristic to receive the gospel. You have to. If you don't get this one thing, you ain't gonna make it. Doesn't matter what other hoops you jump through, what other things you do, you have to need it. You say, well, I don't know, that's, you know, that's a stretch. It's not a stretch. If you don't acknowledge that you need it, you'll never believe in it, in your heart. And that's how salvation comes. Just like if, as you're wandering with the children of Israel in the wilderness, if you don't think, if your gut doesn't tell you you're hungry, you're not gonna take from the manna and eat. You had to need it. That was their only part in that story, was needing it. This continues, Boaz and Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we see this beautiful picture of the Messiah coming. These are David's grandparents. They're an Israelite and a Moabitess. They got together while she was gleaning grain to make bread. Boaz was her kinsman redeemer, a type and a shadow of Jesus. Boaz was a prominent farmer and a landowner living in Bethlehem living in the house of bread. You keep going, their grandson David, he took cheese, in 1 Samuel 17 we see that David took cheese and bread from the house of bread, from Bethlehem, to his brothers who were doing battle against the Philistines. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. And now we come to John chapter six and we've skipped over a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stuff here. But I just wanna look at uh, we're going to read a decent chunk of it if you guys are all good with that. Uh, if you're not, we're going to anyways. It starts out in John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were deceased. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? You guys see this? There's this thread through scripture of the need for bread. They're hungry. They need bread. Where shall we get the bread for them to eat? But this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may even have a little one of his disciples, Simon, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there's much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. The disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. How could anything remain? Jesus is demonstrating in this situation, this story, which is a true story. This isn't a parable. This is a legit true story. Jesus is demonstrating his lordship over the supply. That the bread that they were laboring since Genesis 3, the sweat of their brow to eat, this is not a problem for him. You understand? Do you see that? He's showing them, I've got this bread thing. What God told you in the Garden of Eden, you're going to labor, you're going to sweat. Was there anyone sweating in this story? No. Nobody was even growing things. It was just, Jesus said, I am the Lord of this supply. Therefore, they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets. I mean, at some point, you think, Jesus can do all of this. This is a side note, but Jesus can do this miracle. 
They bring the loaves and the fishes, and he does the miracle. He can do all of that. The Bible says that he reveals that he knows the hairs on our head. You think he could have done just enough? That seems like this is a little excited. Like, why wouldn't he have done, yep, there's 5,000, and he could have done it all in his head without ever revealing. Because obviously, ma- making the bread was not a problem. Knowing things was not a problem. Couldn't we have put this together? But there's something he wants to reveal. He wants to show, I've got this way more than you realize. Excess makes a point, doesn't it? Does excess make a point? It makes a big point to me. It's like, I've got this so much so you aren't even, it's not even going to be like, well, are you sure everybody ate? No, everybody ate. Everybody ate. And now we've got all of this excess, way more than what we started with. Wait, remember, it's just a few loaves and fishes, and now we've got tons. Not a problem. Supply is not a problem. Then those men which they had seen the sign that Jesus did said, this is truly a prophet who has come into the world. Now we see, we're going to skip through some of this. He walked, Jesus walks on the water. Verses 15 through 21, we see Jesus walking on the water. Then in verse 22, on the following day, this is the next day. So we got the feeding of the 5,000. Over in abundance, way more than you could think or imagine. Tons and tons of bread. Then he walked on water, and this is the next day. And the people were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread from the Lord after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Verse 26, Jesus answered and said unto them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said, this blows my mind, church. This verse, I have no words for these people. And I know that Jesus loved them and he gave his life for them, but this is their response. After what we've just read, we're not talking Weeks or months had passed. This is hours. Mere hours had just passed and they'd seen all these miracles. They said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe it? Uh, what, will you, what work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Stick a pin in this. Does it... Can you get much thicker in your head than this? I'm blown away. I've, I've read this a dozen times in the last week, and I'm like, what did they miss? 5,000 of them ate from a few loaves and fishes. He walked on water. All this stuff took place, and there. So what are you going to do to prove it? We want to see you prove who you are. Excuse me? Pay attention. Just Stop and think for the last 24 hours. That's the work I'll do. Our fathers ate man, and then, but then verse 32, we see Jesus said unto them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Whoa. 
Does, does everybody pick up in verse 32 here? We see Jesus is sort of, he's shifting gears a little bit. You guys were looking for food, and I did the food thing. But understand, you think Moses got you the bread? God provided that, and he provided me today. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 41, the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus goes on, verse 43, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, they shall be all taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except who he, was, he who is from God, has seen, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. We see after this, Jesus doubles down on this statement. And many disciples leave him. They, they're like, we're, we're out. You sure, you sure you meant eat of the, my flesh, drink of my blood? It sounds kind of weird, and Jesus doubles down on it. And I think about this story culminating in Luke 22, verse 19, where Jesus is instituting the new covenant. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them, and said, and understand, this is saying again. We read it a lot of times when we're talking about communion, we read it as though it's the first time Jesus said, this, is, this is represents my body. This is way long time after John 6. Jesus institutes this new covenant, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. This whole story in John 6, that we just read through a whole bunch of it, the disciples, the religious leaders, the people, they were confused. They're, what are you talking about? Do a sign. You say you're the Messiah. Do something so that we can see. We're not paying any attention to what you're doing. We're looking for a physical sign. You gave us physical signs. They're kind of back and forth and all over the place. You see that in this? Everybody kind of see that when you read through this. They're, it's like, what are you guys looking for? You, you reference Moses getting bread for your fathers. Jesus just gave you physical bread. Does this not, you're not, what are you looking for? And I see that there's a hunger inside of all humanity for spiritual truth, for real truth, not for circumstantial truth, 
Not for facts. Facts change, don't they? They change all the time. But for truth, there's this hunger and desire in them. They weren't even sure what they were asking. And Jesus is is opening up the envelope a little bit. In John chapter 6, he's opening up and revealing. Because you understand, these religious leaders, the people that were following Jesus at that point in time, had a very clear understanding of the Old Testament, far clearer than what we have today. They knew the verses. They knew what Bethlehem meant. They were aware of all of the things that we just skimmed over in the Old Testament. They understood. They knew Genesis 3.19. They didn't have to be reminded. You know what Jesus said and, or what God said in Genesis 3.19 is that out of the sweat of your brow, they knew that. They were aware of the need for bread. In fact, bread played a big role in many Jewish uh, traditions and feasts and things that they kept. They had an understanding of these things. But what they missed, and this is what the Lord really revealed to me this morning and what I want to leave you with this Christmas day. Our society, much like the religious people in John chapter 6, and by our society, I don't just mean everybody on the commercials on TV. I mean even in our churches oftentimes, in our Christian circles, we get wrapped up and focused in on the physical side of bread. Now, you might say, well, I'm not really that crazy, but I don't even like bread. I'd prefer, you know, the only thing better than, I'm one of those, the only thing better than meat and potatoes is meat and meat. Like, I don't even like bread. No, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the physical things. We get, it's so easy, church. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the physical stuff. Even as we read through scripture, the physical stuff, and what the Lord really revealed to me when he came, when Jesus came and he's, he's unpacking that envelope in John 6, is he's saying, you guys are missing it. The bread in, when Moses had fed you in the wilderness, your father's in the wilderness, that was all, you were supposed to see me. You were supposed to see me. When Joseph fed all the nations, you were supposed to see me. I'm the bread of life. This is all, I'm in all of this. John 1, we see in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's so easy even today to get short-sighted. You know, Paul gave all kinds of instructions about keeping our focus on eternity. Keep our focus out there. Now, As we focus on out there, this stuff gets a lot easier. You can move a lot easier when you take the pressure off of this life. This is not, now is there things, don't anyone hear that I'm saying nothing here matters. I'm saying in light of eternity, it can't. Trey preached about uh, Paul. He was in prison. He was concerned. That hit me. Dude's in prison, fixing to die, and his biggest concern was encouraging a guy who was not in prison and who was significantly younger than him. It should be the other way around. The young guy should be going, let's, let's encourage. We would do today, if we knew Paul was in prison, let's, all, let's write him letters to encourage him, and Paul would be sending us letters. All of you free Christians in the United States, enjoy this to carry the gospel. Be encouraged. It's like, you be encouraged. You're in a pit. But... We don't, we get wrapped up. Paul, when, she, when he shared the gospel and he got to the end of his life, as Trey shared a couple weeks ago, he's, his takeaway was, it worked. Like, your, your life does not look like it worked. It looks very bad. It worked. 
The gospel's going forth. And he says this several, several other times in his letters. He's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a bad deal. I'm in house arrest. But you know what? I'm in house arrest. All the people around me, the people that are holding me in house arrest, they're getting to hear about the gospel all the time. So it's all right. People are talking about it. Some people are talking about it for the wrong reason, but they're still talking about the gospel. He had this, he had this zero-sum mentality that the gospel going forth is it. It's like, well, they did try to kill me, but they're talking about the gospel, so it's a win. They're going to cut my head off, which is unfortunate, but I'll be with the Lord because as soon as absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. He had this clear picture of eternity, and that's what Jesus is revealing in this bread of life. We can get so wrapped up in the provision, the miracles. I'm for miracles, church. I pray for miracles all the time, and I believe in miracles. Don't anyone hear that I'm like, oh, he doesn't believe in miracles? I absolutely believe in miracles. I can't find one scripture that says don't. So I'm going to keep believing for miracles. But seeing the physical miracle, the only thing I want to see when we pray for miracles isn't the thing. When we're wandering in the wilderness and we pray for bread and God brings us bread, it's not the sandwich that's the point. It all is a point to Jesus. The whole point of all of scripture is to point to Jesus so that when we read through scripture and we read about the bread in Bethlehem, the house of bread, when we, there's little things. We talked about this at Christmas at the Rock and it was a, my 12-minute, 10-minute little thing that there's little uh, signatures all through scripture where it's like a little sort of a wink, like, yep, this is, this is God revealing the new covenant. You should see them. We should see them even in our lives. There's been some things that we've stood in faith with some people for recently. Some pretty big physical things. And some of it we've seen, like perfect manifestation, which is just such a fun Christian weird word, manifestation. I mean, that's, you want to scare somebody out of the church, you start talking about manifestations. And people will, but it's all it is is a revealing of what is. That's all a manifestation. It's not, it's not a creation of something, it's just for something to manifest. You see what already is. We've seen some of that, and there's some things we haven't. And what Melinda and I have talked about, and what several, several of our good friends have really tried, we're trying to focus on, is even in the, in the things that we see, I want to see Jesus in it for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of the thing. Does this make sense? I, I want to encourage us, especially as we leave off 2022, which has really had some not great seasons, at least for some of us, we're stepping into a new year. I want to look back on 2022 with thanksgiving that I saw Jesus. And we experienced some tragedy in our family this last year. And it's not super fun to talk about or think about it, but the one thing that I can look back on this summer and realize the Lord used this summer. He didn't cause this summer to be terrible. He didn't take somebody from our lives, but he used it to help me see clearly. I can look back and I can realize this is a light and momentary, even grief, even horrible grief is light and momentary. It's here for a moment and then we're with the Lord. And I can have hope, I can have tremendous hope when I look back on this summer and know I'm gonna see my father-in-law again. I know he knows Jesus and I know that it's not complicated. I know that it's easy, it is simple. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, who are sweating, who are laboring under this yoke of bondage. Come to me, I'll give you rest. 
Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a place of peace to walk with Jesus, to be able to look at this life when it's great and see Jesus and see the gospel in our lives. When a prayer is answered, when a miracle occurs in our lives, when we experience incredible miracles, it is all for the sake of the gospel going forth. When terrible things happen in this life, we can look at it and we can walk through it because we're not from here. That's not our identity because Jesus Jesus is our bread. Jesus is our place of sustenance. He was born in the house of bread and also was the very bread of life. His body was broken on our behalf, was represented in the Lord's Supper by bread. We've talked about this before. I'm not gonna park here real long, but the bread that the Lord's Supper was initiated using was the bread of the Passover, which is unleavened bread, bread without, made without any fermenting agent. Jesus had instructed his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I don't want to look at that too deep this morning. We've preached on it before, but that leaven of the Pharisees, that performance, is so easy. It spreads so quickly into our lives where we can start attaching performance to our lives, to our condition, to our standing with the Father. I just, I look at this Christmas season. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, in the fullness of time. God brought everything together in the fullness of time. The prophetic words had been spoken. Utterance is given and then spoken over and over and over and over. And that fullness of time comes together. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, fulfilling prophecy from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And it wasn't a godly ruler that caused Mary and Joseph to end up in Bethlehem. It was Caesar Augustus. Not a good, it's like we don't have a Saint Caesar in Christendom. I wasn't a good dude, and the Lord worked all that together. And then out of Bethlehem comes Jesus. Jesus walks his whole life and brings clarity. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the light of the world. When the light of the world is shined back on all of Scripture, we see, you know, and I don't want to re-preach this, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago at Christmas at the Rock, that it's not until a light is shined that you can see a shadow Nothing casts a shadow until the lights shined upon it. So all of the scripture is given. These prophecies were spoken. And then when Jesus comes and we see this, a glimpse of this in John 6, that Jesus is shining his light back on all of scripture and saying, all of these instances are pointing to me. Believe in me. And he unpacks that in John 6. It's my prayer that as we celebrate Christmas this year that we see the gospel in our lives played out that you can look at your lives, the miracles that you've seen, and even look through the difficult times, and you can see the gospel. The goodness of God is everywhere. And you know what? The goodness of God is not, and this is what, I don't know if I explained it very clear, but this is what I really want to, is on my heart this morning, that the, the goodness of God is so much bigger than circumstances. It's so much more than manna coming down from heaven. That was great. 
all that was was pointing to something way bigger when Jesus came down and came out of Bethlehem and gave us the opportunity to be right with him. Because up until when Jesus died and the new covenant was enacted, we had no, you couldn't believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We can participate. We're, we are co-heirs with Christ. By what? By us doing something? No. Believe. And you say, and this is where, what I really want to communicate is that we have to get away from trying to prove this. That's what the, the Pharisees were, they were so stuck in proving things. Well, if you're really the Messiah, what are you going to do to prove it? It's like, you haven't been watching. I've done all kinds of things, but just believe. Just believe. His invitation to the rich young ruler, and this is a side note, but I want to just draw this out. That, you know, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? has this whole discussion you know, about the law, and he know the law, and you well, I've kept all the law my whole life, and, and it's, you know, I've, I've done it all, so, the, so now what? And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and that's where he lost him. But then what does he say after that? Follow me. And I just saw this recently. It wasn't giving his money away that would help him inherit eternal life. It's irrelevant. The, only, the, the biggest problem with that dude having money was his money had him. So he couldn't go and follow Jesus. And this is what I'm like, so if he would have followed Jesus, he would have inherited eternal life. That's how it's always preached. That's how we understand it. No, if he would have followed Jesus, he would have learned how to inherit eternal life. Believe. If you can't follow Jesus, you're never going to hear him tell you, believe. Believe on the name of the Lord. If, if the rich young ruler had said, okay, well, I want to follow, I'm going to, do you see what I'm saying? It's not even in the following Jesus. It's if you follow me, you will see. Does that make sense, church? Do you see that? It's like sell everything you have because that's like a boat anchor. You can't move. Sell it all. Give the money to the poor because what else are you going to do with it? Come and follow me and then you'll see. And then you'll see that it's not about this. It's not about having stuff or not having stuff. It's not about Miracles are not miracles. It's, not a, it's all of everything in this walk of faith is about pointing to Jesus. Everything. The, the proving that we have to, as believers, we have to get past this where we're gonna, everything's gotta be a litmus test. It's like, well, I don't know. Are you really born again? I spent almost 20 years of my life wondering if I was born again, church. Fearing, I don't know if I'm born again because I'd had this whole standard laid out in front. I got to do, oh boy, I'm still, I'm still thinking that. I'm still saying that. I'm still acting this way. I'm still, I got to straighten this. And I straighten it a little bit, straighten it a little bit. And all the while, it's like, you're missing it. You're born again. You believed. Believe in Jesus. That's all you do. If you come and follow me, I'll show you. If you follow me, I will show you that I'm what all of all that scripture was about. That's what Jesus was showing in John chapter six. I am the bread of life. All the references of bread and all scripture point to Jesus. They point to Jesus and their requirements for survival. You know, the children of Israel would have died in the wilderness without the manna, the bread from heaven. They would have perished. That's what we get on our own. You know, they could, have, they could have tried to become farmers. We're in the wilderness, let's plant some. They would have died. We can try to become righteousness farmers, grow our own righteousness. 
that's going around a lot today will perish without believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lays that all out in John chapter six. It's believe. You guys are missing it. You're all missing it. Believe. And then they come to him with another question. It's like, okay, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. So who's the bread of life? I am. So what do we have to do? What, what do we have to do to work? Just believe. You can almost see in, in this story where Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to do this one more time. I'm the bread of life. If you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. So what work do we have to do? Just believe. And as a church today, I got to believe that there's times that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And this is what I heard this morning. I walked in my, where I got my firewood store to fill up a wheelbarrow. I'm just burning. That's all I do the last three days is fill my stove with wood. And I was loading firewood and I heard the Holy Spirit inside of me almost that loud say, just believe. It's just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll lead us. He'll show us. He'll give us the left turns. He'll give us the right turns. He'll give us the, hold on, stop, right there. He will lead us and show us all things. He'll show us what matters and what doesn't matter. He'll give us the words to speak even when we carry that gospel out. You don't have to come up with, oh, how am I going to share? Boy, and maybe some of you are sitting here today thinking, we got Christmas this afternoon or evening. How am I going to tell people what, we, what church was about today? Don't worry about it. If, you open, if you're faithful in believing and say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to open my mouth. He will give you words to speak. He will give you words to speak that are exactly what some, you could write down what the pastor said or you could write down what Tom said or you could write down what somebody shared with you when you walked in or when you leave. And maybe that's fine. I'm not down on that. But there's a real good chance that the Holy Spirit's going to give you something better. This specific and unique to what? Just like he did in John 6 to point to Jesus. Not to point to Revelation Rock, not to point to your own righteousness, but to point to Jesus. I gotta wrap this up. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna all go home and have some, I don't know where all you guys going. I'm going home to eat Christmas dinner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this church family. Thank you that you are the bread of life. You sent your spirit to breathe upon your word to reveal things to us. To help us clearly see you in all scripture. We can see you in the stories of Joseph. We can see you as you provide for the children of Israel. Even on through the story of Ruth and Boaz, we see this, these little winks, this provision, Lord, that you are the bread of life. If we eat of you, we will never be hungry again. We will never be tasked with our own righteousness again. Father, I pray a blessing over these people that have come out this morning, this family of Revelation Rock, to worship you. We sing some songs to you, even though it was a little cold when we started. It's warming right up in here. Lord, I thank you for heat. Thank you for Christmas time. Most of all, above everything, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we have the ability to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We thank you that we are counted among the righteous, that we can choose so the author of Proverbs to say, we will be as bold as a lion. We won't flee as the wicked when no man pursues running crazy, but we will walk with boldness because we know that you have made us righteous. 
Father, I just pray that this gospel would well up on the inside of each person here today, that this Christmas season would be overshadowed by the goodness of God in the gospel, revealed by Jesus in our hearts. Father, I just pray a blessing over this family as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys have a Merry Christmas.